welcome to Sibley Stokies. I am your host, James, or I'm one of your hosts, uh, James, joining me this week uh, as, again, he is contractually obligated to do now until the end of time. Uh, it's Nick Cirrus. Uh, Nick, welcome back to the program. Thank you, James. It seems like you and I are spending an awful lot of time via Zoom on these podcasts of late, as we are recording quite a number of these. Yeah, we really are. We're trying to. I think my, my I think my contractual agreement was one show a month initially, and now we're doing about well, five. Now you're, doing, now you're doing four or five. Whatever, it's <laughs> okay. Well, we're just trying to catch up. Uh, I don't know if we want to say playing catch up, but we're we're trying to get uh, prepped for bank, the bank the, the trade show. Put them in the bank. As they, and you look rather dapper today. Oh, uh, you mentioned the, that. Oh. Yeah, in the trade show uniform of Simply Stogies. Uh, that's what we'll all be wearing there. I think you're even, you're, are you sporting the hat as well? You are. I am. Oh, I am indeed. You know, God, I wanted to very, put all the uh, the swag on today. You have never looked sexier. Now. Uh, never. I thought you'd say that. Never. Although I will have to say our guest today looked uh, very sexy at mild Kentucky Herf unbuttoning his shirt and singing Genuine's Pony, it's Greg Free, Fuerte Libre. Welcome to the program, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Happy to be here. Uh, we're happy you kept your shirt on. Um, no, I'm joking. It was a lot of fun. Like So this year at the uh, Mile Kentucky Herf, Greg, uh, we got to hang out quite a bit the night before at the, uh, the pre-party there at Fat Ash Cigar Lounge uh, in Ashland, uh, Kentucky. And uh, they had the karaoke going and, uh, you know, famously... Uh, Ricky Rodriguez and Luciano did their uh, their Sonny and Cher uh, rendition, but you, like you, you can sing. I mean, Luciano can sing. He's a very talented individual, but my God, you can say you blew everybody away. I had a great time. You know, I think it's important. You know, the whole this whole business is all about relationships, and if I can, you know, stand up and make a little bit of a fool of myself and just make a connection with all the people there. I'm happy to do it. I had a great time, and that's a great lounge with a great group. So happy to stand up and unbutton my shirt a little bit. <laughs> it was a, it was a, a, a very appreciated because you did. It's, it's fun for consumers and even me. I mean, I guess I am industry adjacent, if that's even a thing. Uh, but it's fun for consumers to be able to to meet you guys and talk with you, and then kind of see you let your hair down a little bit every once in a while. Yeah, we're all human, right? You know, we've all, they need to see you as as the person that you are, not just this persona that, I, and I, I honestly don't present a persona. From the very beginning, I decided I wasn't going to change where and what I wear. I wasn't going to change talking how I talk. I was just going to be me, uh, no persona. I've always worn white shoes for years. I'll keep wearing white shoes, and that looks like maybe that's a persona, but. Uh, Sounds like it to me. Yeah. I don't know very many people that wear white shoes, so hey, that's, my, whatever you are, just rock it. Yeah, so, that, so that's what I do. I don't get dressed up. I don't wear a sport coat. I you know, I wear a polo shirt. It's got my logo on it. I wear my white shoes. My house is called La Casa de los Zapatos Blancos because everybody knows, you know, there's like 20 pairs of white shoes just right by the front door waiting to put them on. One day I'm going to have to learn Spanish. One day. Today is not that day, but one day okay. I need to learn Spanish. Uh, Nick, you're going to have to coach me on that. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. I'm adding, Zapatos I'm adding the, yeah, I'm adding. shoes. Blancos <laughs> means white. There you I'm, go. You got yeah, your I lesson Blanca, of the day. Thanks, Jesus. Christ. There you go. Yeah, I'm adding it to the contract, Nick. I'm adding it to the contract. So, Greg, let's talk about Fuerte Libre because there are uh, maybe some folks, some listeners, some viewers uh, who uh, may not be familiar with your brand. How long uh, have you been, uh, you know, doing the Fuerte Libre thing? 
So we've had cigars in the country for four years, May 29. So we just had our four year anniversary of cigars in the country. But the foundation of the company was really in 2012 uh, when I started, when I made a decision to do it, started putting money away. And then in late 2013, started going through the federal process, which was ever changing at the time. And I had a full time job. So it was a slow process. Eventually, you know, went to the part of selecting a factory, which is a whole other story. Uh, but picked a factory in the Dominican Republic uh, that I had been working with before. Uh, they've been doing a great job. They've never had an American brand before. The name of the factory is El Joyito. It's been around since the 70s. Uh, it's all, Every position in the factory is operated by the second generation of the original person in that position. So big family operation with a connection to a family farm of tobacco. So we have great access to the same tobacco over time. Wow. Wow. So you've been doing this for a minute, almost uh, a little over a decade since you started. So I remember you telling me this story uh, a couple of years ago when we first met at the Mile Kentucky Herf that you, you were setting money aside. How long did it take you to set money aside before you were like, that's it, I'm all in, I'm going for it right now? Well, I, I didn't wait as long as I should have in hindsight uh, because this is a very expensive business to get rolling. So It's never I, enough. I thought, I thought I had plenty. You know, I had like, I think there was like $35,000 that I had set aside. And, you know, in the end, that is pennies in the bucket of what I've invested in the company up to this point. So uh, not right now, the company is not profitable, but it's paying for itself. And it's been doing that for two years. Uh, and we're not profitable because there's a lot of new expenses that have come up this year, but uh, we're almost there. And I think we're, we're ahead of the business plan, which had a five-year model of profitability. Uh, so, so, yeah, the answer to the question is not enough time. <laughs> but, but I was able, I was able to keep adding money and it still wasn't really enough. So I personally invested a lot more even after that, but wow, uh, it's, it's a passion project. You can't do this thinking you're going to make money. And I didn't either. I wasn't naive about it. Yeah. But you're not independently wealthy though, either. No. Are you? No. So this no. is like, <laughs> nobody goes into business to not make money That's unless true. maybe you're me. And then you start a podcast that will make no money ever. But if yeah. you're going into the cigar industry, like you want to make money doing it. You want people to enjoy your product, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I think it, I think I, I look at Omar DeFrias, who's also a Virginia based company with Fratello and he retired from federal service at NASA. So him and I are in the same boat. I have my retirement is set, so I don't have to worry about that. I mean, I still need to pay my bills and that's coming out of savings now, but I'm not touching my retirement. So the, the whole idea is to be profitable, hopefully after PCA. You know, I right. think once we once we get to 100 shops, uh, that's going to be the profitability mark. We're, we've got some big expenses behind us, and uh, we're ready to roll forward. It's going to be a good year. Your chief tasting officer, Ed, uh, was uh, with you the last couple of years at Mile Kentucky Herb. You guys travel all over, and you're you're doing your best. You're, you're grinding. You are a grinder, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I respect the hell out of it because it's hard. It is a hard life to be a grinder. And to really grind for something that you love, even if you love it, like it's still like wear you down all that travel. You're in 70 shops, though. Your grinding has paid off. And so it's taken you, what, four years to, to get into 70 shops? And that's nothing to sneeze at. Because when I talk to other retailers, they're, they say, if you get into 50 shops, I mean, you're, you're, you're pretty golden. And you're in 70, but you want 100. Well, I'm happy to I'm happy to hear that 50 is kind of that mark. You know, it, it gets easier the more shops you're in. You know, the more brand recognition you have, 
the easier it gets. As long as you have a good product, you know, and you're staying in the shops, you're getting reorders. The first order is not as important as the second order, to be honest, because that means the customers are buying it and you're doing a good job. Absolutely. And then the other indicator is that you've got shops calling you, you know, and I've picked up a couple shops where a shop called me because they heard about the brand. A customer went in and asked about it or posted on their Facebook group. So they call me. Now that's only three shops right now that have done that, but that tells me that I'm starting to turn the corner. I'm getting that brand recognition. Um, and I just raised my prices for the first time because frankly, it's time to be profitable. You know, there's, we've got to be, it's not even going to be profit. It's just going to be repaying me the loans that I've made to the corporation, right? which, which is nice, except I still won't have a salary effectively. Uh, I'll just be being repaid for what I've invested. There are steps, right? And this is one of those steps. And so, and that's a good thing that you are in 70 shops, that you are starting to turn a profit, that you're able to pay back some of those personal loans that you invested in the company. Those are all great things, but you talked about branding. And so I'm going to bring it up a little bit earlier than I thought I was going to bring it up, but Fuerte Libre, the name, what does that mean in Spanish? <laughs> it means strong and it means strong and free. So I, in that process of all those years before I got cigars in the market, I, I spent a long time coming up with a company name and it, when I finally came up with the name and that was before the logo, um, I, it, it's, I settled in on it because my last name is free. That's Libre. And I like strong cigars. And, and I also, so I, and I created the name in English first. So I wanted it to speak to America at the same time. So I was like, how can we speak to America? How can we incorporate these things? Strength and freedom of America is very important to me. I'm really proud of being a patriot and an American. And so strong and free made perfect sense. And then I translated that into Spanish to pay homage to the culture. So Fuerte Libre, it really rolls off my tongue. A lot of people can't pronounce it, but I'm, I'm really proud of the name and what we've been able to do with it for the last four years. Absolutely. It's a great name. Uh, however, you, you shared some information with me. Uh, at the trade or at the trade show, but at the uh, Mile Kentucky here. And I was kind of shocked about it, to be honest with you. And you talked about branding. You're in 70 shops and you have that name recognition now where people look at that. They go, oh, Fuerte Libre. I kind of know what that is. Why is it not in my shop? I'm going to go talk to the owner. Owner calls you. Hey, you're Fuerte Libre. I want Fuerte. All that's about to change, right? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we had a trademark opposition. Uh, from the Fuente Marketing Group, uh, which is the marketing group for uh, Arturo Fuente Cigars. Um, they opposed the trademark application. You know, we applied for it. The, the trademark process is convoluted in this country, in my opinion. I guess it's worldwide, where you have to actually have product in the market before you can file. So you so you invest the time and the energy and the, and the money to create a brand that you actually place in the market. Then you apply for your trademark. And when I did, we were at COVID had just started. So PTO, the Patent Trademark Office, it kind of shut down. It took a long time for it finally to get to the public posting, which is part of the process. As soon as it went to the public posting, there's 30 days for anybody to oppose it. On the 29th day, uh, Fuente Marketing opposed my brand based on the potential for consumer confusion and specifically the word Fuerte uh, and their trademark for Fuente. That sounds like the most ridiculous kind of bullshit that there is. So I'm going to show people this. Now I'm smoking the avalanche. We'll get to the avalanche here in a minute and, and your other core blends, your core lines. Cause I love the sun country. I, I love the bodacious. I've got a, uh, 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 
the the Midnight Bender, which is such a great name <laughs> for a cigar here uh, for for after this one. But I want to show folks your logo, and your logo in no way, shape, or form looks anything close to uh, Arturo Fuente, the bull, uh, the horns, and Fuerte is not Fuente. Uh, it's two different words <laughs> spelled differently with different pronunciation. I am confused as to why a Arturo Fuente would think that they would win this, uh, and B why they would bring it up anyway. So, it, you know, there's a couple things. First of all, you're required to police your trademark. So if you think there's something that could create potential consumer confusion, there's six reasons you, you should oppose. Uh, so, so they're required to have people that police it. In this case, it's a group of attorneys, um, you know, in big companies like that, you know, almost a $400 million company, they hire attorneys and those attorneys, they act on their own. You know, they're on a retainer. It's their job to police the trademarks. I honestly don't think that uh, Carlito or anybody in the upper echelon of the company was even aware of this opposition until we got to presenting settlements to them. So they have to police it. Um, and, and, and they're doing that for the right reasons. But I, it, the, the other point is, you know, you said you don't think they could win, but they don't have to win. They just have to make me spend enough money that I will give up. And, and it's not going to be the first time, Greg, that that's happened in this industry. People that have as little, because I really don't think there's much basis in your case as well. I mean, fuerte means it's a Spanish word for God's sakes. And it's fuente is a last name. I don't see the confusion, but you're absolutely correct. There have been other companies that I'm familiar with that spent money that they didn't have, or as they like to say, I could have spent all that money buying tobacco. And uh, they spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars defending something that was ridiculous to begin with. And then finally they said, no mas, you know what? We'll just change the name. And that's what they're counting on. And they, they realize that that's generally what happens. So, Unfortunately, you're not the first that this has happened to, and you won't be the last. Um, unfortunately, it's happened to you. But, you know, you can move on from it. It's part of your story. It's part of your history. And hopefully this will all be in the uh, the rearview mirror soon. Yeah, my I mean, my intention is I've never met Carlito face to face. You know, I intend to I'm sure he's not going to search me out, uh, but I'm going to find him at the show and I'm going to shake his hand and say business is business. I'm glad we got past this. Um, and and move forward. Now, the great thing about our settlement, you know, and this is a little bit of credit to Carlito and his team, they've given me five years to make the transition. So I don't have to throw out any product. I don't have to get rid of swag. I don't have to change my t-shirt right away. But, it's, but at the same time, as soon as a band runs out on a product, I'll put the new name on it. As soon as I need a new polo shirt, I'll put the new name on it. So we'll, we will we'll get the opportunity to keep the bull logo. That's not in contention. Uh, we've got three possible names, which I'm going to go ahead and throw them out here because this show won't air until after hopefully we picked one. But it's FYL Cigars is the easiest transition, but I think it's also the name that doesn't really it doesn't resonate. Uh, there's a lot of three letter brands out there. I don't necessarily want to be a three letter brand, but it is very easy. Um, another name that we're researching trademarks on now is Libre Cigars. It looks like we have a clear path there. That's a that's a very easy name for people to say. It still speaks to the brand. It's still my, it, it references or pays homage to my last name free. Um, and then the other one is uh, Firme y Libre. And Firme is even harder to say than Fuerte. <laughs> um, 
but it, it in my opinion it sounds far different from fuente farther from fuente than fuerte did so firme also means firm or strong in some spanish dialects in others it means signature so so it's it's uh it would be great if it were firme libre but i think ultimately people would just start calling it that libre company anyway you know because right. libre is easy to say so we're the attorneys are are doing their their due diligence and searches through the trademark database to see if there's any potential conflict i think that we'll uh shoot uh, the the attorney, their attorneys, Carlito's attorneys, a message and say, see if see if Carlito would have a problem with Firme if we went that direction. Um, and you know, so because he gonna, is he going to oppose every uh, <clears throat> every company that starts with the letter F? I mean, well, where, where does this stop? And I'm sure we'll talk about this on the after show, Nick, with with Tim. Yes, but absolutely. This, to me, this seems very predatory. Uh, and and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Superfluous. There's no need for this whatsoever. I don't see how this would ever impact Fuente. And I know it's not Carlito like pulling the strings like a maniacal evil, uh, you know, villain. Like I'm not saying that I'm sure Carlito's a nice guy. I've never personally met him. Uh, I'm sure that he's not just sitting there going like a, like looking through a phone book of, of manufacturers. What looks like Fuente that I can make them change. <laughs> I'm sure that he's not doing that, but it comes across like that's what's happening it's, and perception is everything. And I feel like, and, and he's not the first one, like Nick said, I know uh, Anya Ramirez had to change her, uh, her brand name from uh, uh, Don Fausto. Uh, Cause Fausto was her, it was an homage to her father. So it was Don Fausto and uh, Pete Johnson and company at Tatawahe have a trademark on Fausto and said, no, like you can't do it. Cause people are going to, and that's just on one cigar. It's not a company name. It was just they have the trademark on the Faust. So this kind of stuff in the industry is what I feel consumers look at and go, Jesus Christ, like, why can't you all just get along? Like, this is kind of ridiculous. But, but Greg, both those companies that you mentioned, uh, Tatuai, you know, Pete and Carlito have been on the opposite side of uh, trademark cases. Pete with Monte Cristo and the Flor de Lure that, he took off his band and I know that was difficult because, you know, that was his little connection to Cuba and that, that leaf and Fuente with the Opus X, you know, with the wine, the total different industry came after him, but that was the exact same word. It's Opus. I mean, you know, it's a different industry. So who would have had a problem with it? Apparently the wine people. So it's, uh, you know, Look, it's just cigars, man. Just right. just smoke them. And what I will give you the encouragement, Greg, is as important as a name is, more importantly is you and the cigar. And that's what it comes down to. People will follow you no matter what you call it. So, yeah, and Greg, we'll you have certainly that. taken the high road uh, in this interview, and you've not, I mean, you, you kind of take this all in stride, so kudos to you. But this has to, it had to have been a blow especially as you're in 70 shops and you want to get to a hundred by the trade show, like through the trade show and you want to grow the brand. And now you're not necessarily starting from square one, but at the same time, now you've got a, you've and kudos to their team saying, look, we'll give you five years. I guess that's pretty gracious of them. Cause they could have said, mm, just do it now. Yeah. I mean, that was, so that was my, um, it was a settlement offer that I presented to them, you know, looking for the five years, there, I presented nine different settlement opportunities, all of which I thought made a lot of sense. And, you know, in the end, it's 
I, I just don't take it personally. You know, I know a lot of really good attorneys that are that are friends of mine. But in the end, attorneys need to make money. You know, so and when your company is as big as Carlito's company is, you have to trust that the people you're paying seven hundred and fifty dollars an hour to or a thousand dollars an hour that they're giving you good advice. You know, so he's listening to his attorneys who are who are invested in the idea that, you know, we should continue to fight this because they're going to make more money. Um, and I, you know, you got to you got to have faith in your attorneys. I have faith in my attorneys. I listen to their advice and their advice cost me thirty thousand dollars. So, you know, so it's like, you know, but to me, it, it was it was personal in the sense that, you know, my last name is represented. I, I, I did it in English first. I had no no desire to go after the Fuente name. That, that was not the point at all. Right. It was really just strength and freedom. So so I fought it because. I, I knew I, I didn't know. I was pretty certain I could win. Um, what I didn't know was how, how, how much, much it would cost. <laughs> how much, how much money you could be forced to spend to defend it. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I fought it as long as I could. Each step, I thought we could get a settlement. I, I thought we'd have a settlement. This started in August. I thought we'd have one by October, honestly. But. Uh, there wasn't any movement. There was there was no negotiations back then. So it just kept dragging out. I think the hope was that, you know, we would spend more money and then we'd give it up. But, uh, you know, we continued all the way through till May. Um, and in the end, you know, business is business. Carlito's listening to his experts in the, in the legal field because he's got to. He's not a lawyer. Um, he's taking their advice. And uh, we came to an agreement that it's not it's not how I wanted it to end. But if it had to end, this is not a bad, it's not a bad way. And it's in four years, four years in, you know, I look at the industry and you think about the new brands that are hot. People are like, Oh my God, have you tried this new cigar? Most of those brands, when people start saying that have been around for five years, you know, you, you have no idea. Like, you know, nobody knew, nobody knew me. And now all of a sudden you get to a hundred stores and people are going to be like, Oh my God, have you tried this new brand, you know, Fiorme Libre or whatever we're going to be called. And, and and someone will say to them, "Oh, they've been around for five years. Like, where have you been? <laughs> so, where have you been? Yeah. So it's a it's a good place and time to change the name. And with the way that we've designed our our boxes and our bands, with the bull remaining the same and the color remaining the same, I think for the most part, people that follow my brand are just going in to grab that yellow bull or that white bull or the black one. You know. So I think I think we'll we won't lose a lot of goodwill." I'm just losing that personal connection I had to the year-long process of coming up with this name that I thought was just fucking amazing. It is. And it is amazing. Uh, so I'm looking forward to see what you rebrand as. I like the three. I like all three of them. I don't think I have a favorite. I'm sure you're kind of probably leaning towards one. Um, but we'll see We'll see what that is when you, when you actually change it and you're ready to come back on. We'll have you back on. We'll talk about it then. But I want to talk now about your cigars. The cigars themselves. You said the yellow bowl, the white bowl, the black bowl. I want to talk about the yellow bowl because sun country is one of those cigars. I was trying to explain it to Nick uh, last night. Sun country is one of those cigars that reminds me a lot of a Padron Damaso because it's not your, it's not your everyday regular Connecticut. It is not like something that's boring and bland and tastes like cardboard. There is character to it and there's complexities and there's nuance. And I love the sun country. It's one of my favorite cigars, especially in the morning with a cup of coffee to set you straight. And there are 
for me or from me, I guess I feel like that's high praise because there are a lot of great cigars that I love with a cup of coffee. And that sun country stands out to me as one of the ones I could smoke every day. Talk about, cause you've told me the story and I think you even mentioned it. If you guys go back and you, you listen to the podcast from the, my, uh, the first mile Kentucky Herb in 2022, I think you told the story there when I interviewed you, uh, at, at fat ash, but talk about how, uh, the sun country came about and the process in the factory. So, you know, as I mentioned, the factory we're using is fantastic factory. They've made cigars for the Dominican market since the 70s uh, and, and very successful in their own right, but just never had a connection to the U.S. market. Um, I wanted to pick a small factory. I wanted to have influence over what was happening there. Uh, so, you know, they were the first line that came out with Bodacious. They blended that cigar for me. They gave us multiple choices. I sat in a room with 12 of my friends, actually this very room I'm sitting in, and we smoked those cigars and we picked one. Uh, and then we tested a different wrapper to come out with two wrappers. So we had a six facings for that first line. The second line also, they I told them what I was looking for. They came up with it. The third line was Midnight Bender. I told them what to do. <clears throat> and then and they didn't agree with me on what I wanted to do because, again, American market different than the than <coughs> tip, typically mild uh, Dominican market. Sure. And then, the, and then the Sun Country, then the Midnight Bender sold fantastic, exactly like I thought it would. So I, I kind of proved to them that I knew the American market. But still, Sun Country came along, and and uh, we were having lunch. We had been at the factory in the morning. We go down to the DR at least twice a year, usually when the tobacco's high in the field, late January, early February. Also, again, in either August, September, or October, depending on my schedule. Uh, so we're down there. We've been in the factory in the morning, and we uh, we go to lunch at Camp David. Uh, and we have a Camp David here in Maryland that I used to go to when I was a kid. That's where the president vacations. But this yes. Camp David is also where the president uh, would take dignitaries. It's a great restaurant, overlooks the whole city of Santiago and the and the Sabal Valley. It's beautiful. We're up there having lunch, and I'm describing this blend to them that I would like to do. And and it's double Lajero. Around that Lajero and the accordion uh, bunching that we're doing is a leaf of Mexican San Andres and more Dominican filler, the Palado Cubano, and then a Dominican binder and an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. And at this point, we hadn't done a Connecticut wrapper, but I don't like mild cigars. So I wanted to create something that gave you the flavor of a full, uh, but smoked more like a medium cigar, which is interestingly enough where my palate has settled. You know, when I named it Strong and Free, I was into like those heavy hitters. I was smoking a lot of Tatuajes. I was, you know, I was rocking the, the VSGs. I was, you know, I was a really a stronger cigar guy. Uh, but when you start blending and you're looking for flavor, you find that in the middle. And so I started doing more medium. So I'm ex describing this blend to them and, and they have a little sidebar. Um, and I, I understand Spanish more than I can speak it. I don't understand it all. I, I know a lot of words, but I don't know how to put sentences together. You know, it's the, it's the ofs and the these. And so so they have a little sidebar with the, the factory owner. The uh, the son of his was there. My connection to the factory was there. And then also the operations manager was there. And I'm describing this blend. The son is translating for them what I'm saying. They have a sidebar. And in the sidebar, they, they say, you know, he's an idiot. He's going to be out of business in six months. He doesn't know what he's doing. This will never sell. And it's blasphemous to put a full body core in a mild wrapper. So... At the end of that, because I understood most of it, I didn't wait for the translation. I said, listen, guys, I understand what you're saying. I said, but what I'm looking to do here is and they love baseball in the Dominican. So I used a baseball reference. I said, you know how when you're out there 
playing a game of baseball and it's a clear blue sky, not a cloud anywhere. And then suddenly you see a bolt of lightning come down out of the sky and you're just shocked. And I said, that's what I want the cigar to be. I want it to be something that's unexpected. Uh, they were not in agreement that it would sell. They were still not convinced. Uh, we rolled some test blends of it. It, it turned out great almost in the first roll. Like there was no balancing of the ratios or anything. We test everything in a six by 50. So I had them make me a bunch of those, brought them back to my tasting crew. We tasted them. And then we start testing different Patolas. We went up and down and we, we finally released it in a 52 by six, the Toro. Um, and when I went back to the factory after that cigar had been released on the line, every single roller and buncher was smoking a sun country without the band on it but i asked i'm like is that the sun country yeah i'm like why are you smoking it <laughs> it's good very good i'm like all right no <laughs> so, so you got you got a little respect yeah. from him for uh, after that yeah so you know and then it's it, it's i think they're now understanding the market so they're very proud now uh and the, their master blender is the owner of the factory he, you know he's amazing so when i go down now they're like they're rolling these great full-bodied cigars for me because we're trying to come out with something full. And um, so it's now it's more collaborative because now they understand kind of where I'm trying to go. So I can't really, you know, I'm I'm certainly having input and in selecting blends, but it's not like the Midnight Bender and the Sun Country where it was just me. You know, like, this is what I want to do. They said I shouldn't do it and it wasn't going to sell, but it did. So now they, you know, we've got this uh, respect for each other and we kind of, we're, we're rolling forward with that. That's awesome. That's such a great story. Because I could just, I can just, I could picture them going, this stupid fucking American. Like, yeah. what, what is he talking about? And then they, like, you go back and everyone's smoking. Like, that's just, that's fantastic. And I really like the Sun Country. It's one of my favorites from you. I, I like the Midnight Bender. Um, I like all of them, the Bodacious, the, the Bushwhacker. But the new one, the Avalanche. Talk about this one because this one is, I don't want to say it's similar to the Sun Country. But there, I mean, there are, there are some similarities. Talk about the avalanche. So I was trying to come out with a mild cigar because it's such a big part of the market. It's a great entry point for people that don't smoke uh, cigars. And they just kind of want to get into a mild cigar. But I think it's, I've heard it's 40% of the market. I don't know how. I can't stand to smoke a real mild cigar. Uh, but it is apparently. Um, so I, I kept trying to do these mild cigars, these typical Dominican cigars. But it wasn't, a, it was never anything I could smoke. Uh, so in the end, this Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, which is the same wrapper that's on the Sun Country, brings a little bit of spice to it that lifts it up. So even though it's a Connecticut wrapper because it's Ecuadorian, it's it's lifting it up. To me, it's like a three on a scale of one to ten. It's not a true mild, uh, but it's the mildest one in the lineup. And it will likely be the mildest one we ever produce because I'm just not, you know, I'm. A, a lot of companies come out with a cigar every three months, you know, or every six months. They do it on a timeline, but I don't release a cigar until the blend speaks to me. And and if it doesn't add value to the line, I just don't do it. it that's not unique to me. There's plenty of boutique brands that feel the same way. Um, you know, uh, Protocol is one of them. Um, I'm trying to, uh, what's the other one that I always look at? I had a conversation with the guy. There's another, there's another brand out of Indiana. What's that brand? Oh, Crux. Crux. I was talking to him about why they only had five lines. This was like two years ago. I was in Phoenix and just happened to see him in a shop. And I pick everyone's brain. And this is a very cordial industry. I mean, they'll answer questions right down to the dollars and cents. Like, what are you paying to have that cigar made? 
it's the kind of industry that doesn't exist really outside of cigars. It's very cordial for the most part. There's a couple of hookups, obviously. I've had a few, but for the <laughs> most part, you can you can dig into it. And I was talking to you know one of the founders of Crux, and I said, why do you only have five lines? And he said, look, you know, we're not releasing cigars just to release cigars. You know, we wanted to add value to the line and to be something that people will enjoy, something that's going to be that's going to differentiate itself from the rest of the competition, but also from the rest of our line. So my model was the same before I talked to him about it. But it's interesting. There are other people that follow that same model. So that's my philosophy. And that's why it took for a long time to come out with a mild because I just I wasn't going to release something that I couldn't smoke. I have to smoke them. I think, Nick, you do the same thing, don't you? You you don't release <laughs> cigars on a timetable. You uh, No, you- not at all. I, I, I definitely hear where um, Greg's coming from. I originally came out with one line, three, three sizes. And then immediately afterwards, I knew I had to augment that by putting a medium and a full to the mild medium and full. And they were great. And then everybody's like, Oh, what do you got new coming out? What's new? I'm like, well, when I start selling more of these here, maybe I'll think about something else. That was my logic. Cause I thought, they weren't really being appreciated enough. And so I just kept pushing those and, and, and it, and it worked. Uh, I came out with a whole new line because in my story, if Greg doesn't know it is predominantly I'm overseas and selling in the U S wasn't, it was an afterthought as an American. um, You know, I always wanted to have a cigar here, but it wasn't my intent and wasn't why I got in this business, but I thought people here would appreciate it. When I came out the new line, it was Vitolas and different things that I hadn't created in the regular line. I'd never done a, a figurado. I had never done anything different. So that became that line and that took off and that's done well. And it really augmented it. And in fact, it actually brought more sales to the, the core line. So that I think is a good sign when a new cigar is actually getting people not only to smoke the new cigar, but go back and smoke what's already in the catalog. So I think it's a, a great uh, business sense and what you're doing, Greg. Thank you very much. It's, you know, I did kind of the same thing where when I wasn't, didn't have a new release imminent, I uh, came out with the Midnight Bender and a Gordo, you know, added another Vitola because some shops were asking for Gordos. I didn't have one. And then right after that, well, six months after that, came out with the Corona and the Sun Country, which, by the way, I think is better than the Toro. Uh, and it's a little bit stronger, in my opinion, but I left it that way because I honestly preferred a little bit more meat to it. So the, the Toro, I'm, Toro's tastes a little bit mild. It's a medium, but the Corona's a kind of a medium plus, in my opinion. Brings a lot more flavor. I've never been a Corona smoker, but wow, that's just a great Corona. Well, there's less filler, of course, so it's going to be stronger to the core blend. So that's yeah. why that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm getting spice, nuts, left. This is not, again, it's not your typical kind of, uh, uh, of Connecticut where you're just kind of bored halfway through and you're going, God, to put mm-hmm. this down and smoke something else uh i think it's great now when you have you been seeing that what nick just talked about when you come out with something new like the avalanche people start going back and you see a spike in sales in some of your older blends um you know it's interesting like we came out with uh the second win segundo viento and that that cigar uh was our anniversary our second anniversary cigar uh, and i really thought that blend would overtake uh, the Sun Country and the Midnight Bender, because I I think, and I've been told that technically it's a better blend. It's it's my most like people that are real tobacconists that have a real palate. They say that technically that's the best blend. 
but I think a lot of people stay away from box press. So you, sometimes a new line will come out and it will take over, but like, so that one didn't, it sells very well. And I keep that one in a 10 count box and I love smoking that thing, uh, especially in the Robusto. It's a great little cigar. Uh, but the Avalanche is so different from the rest of the line. It's not taking away. It reminds me of uh, combining families in my second marriage, where the two kids from the the wife and the two kids from me, they they all thought that their parent was going to have less love for them because they'd have to give love to the other for the other two kids. And what I said to them was, you know, love is boundless. It doesn't. You, you don't take from someone else to give someone else love, you add more love. And I think the same thing with the avalanche to the line. The avalanche doesn't take any sales away from anything else. It's If anything, it's taking sales away from another line or it's just part of the growth of cigars in the industry overall. So not not stealing anything. Nice. So you said you're working on something new. You're working on a, on a, uh, a more bold blend, if you will, something uh, that you really uh, will be right in your wheelhouse, so to speak. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're what you're working on? Yeah, I can tell you it's got a lot of Criollo 98 hybrid in it. Um, it's got some Nicaraguan Lajero in there, uh, and it's got a San Andres wrapper. And it's uh, it's got a name. It's going to be called Intimidator. Uh, all of our cigars, uh, their names are inspired by famous rodeo bulls. Uh, the way the way that we name them is uh, pretty unique, but. We, uh, the way we picked the name out of 500 potential bulls is pretty unique. But the Intimidator, that name sticks. It's a, it's a full, but it's probably eight and a half to nine on a scale of one to ten. It's not going to kick your teeth out, but it's definitely going to let you know it's there. Uh, so you'll get a good ride out of it for sure. You like to surprise people, don't you? <laughs> like I would have never thought that you would have named your cigars after rodeo bulls. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm a farm boy. I, my dad bought and sold horses for 30 years and not, not your fancy thoroughbreds. He bought and sold trail horses and rodeo horses and, and he made a really good living at it. And that's probably where my relationship style of business comes from is, you know, he never sold someone a horse that they weren't going to keep forever. You know, he understood the rider. He understood what they were going to use the horse for. And he made a match. Uh, it's like a matchmaker, but for horses and people. And so I, that's kind of where my, my leadership style and my relationship style of business came from. I, I don't do business with anyone I haven't met face to face. That's why I go to the Dominican as much as I do. And we visit the printing company and we visit the box factory and we visit uh, the farm. And, you know, we, we do all the jobs when we're there. So they see me actually doing it. You know, I'm not just some uh, rich American and, and I'm not rich, but you know, from their perspective, some rich American that's just throwing a name on a, on a cigar they've already made and calling it their own. I'm invested in it, you know, and it's, it's important to me. It's personal. So yeah, it's a whole, whole different thing. So you get that work ethic from, 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 uh, you know, how you grew up and, and how your father did business and all that, but you still, you surprise people. Like I would have never guessed that. I would have never guessed that, nor would I have guessed that you would have sang, uh, cause like karaoke at, at the, uh, at Fat Ash Lounge, like the first three songs you sang, they were, I don't want to say normal, they were but they, they were country songs. Right. And so that's expected, but genuine <laughs> pony that's unexpected. And you told me it was funny. We were sitting around and you said we were smoking cigars. I'm having a, have a conversation. You're like, if this eagle rare speaks to me by the end of the night, I'm going to shock you. And sure enough, <laughs> you shocked the hell out of me. You, <laughs> the, the sun country shocked the hell out of me when I first tried it. Like, look, 
there are, I get to try a lot of different brands, a lot of new brands, and you're a newcomer into this and you're a boutique uh, cigar uh, manufacturer. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because you're on, I'm not blowing smoke, so to speak, pun intended, I guess. Um, but you, uh, your, your cigars shocked me when I first tried them. Cause I'm like, okay, this is just going to be another boutique guy. Look at him pulling out the eager rare. He might say, sing some genuine later on guys. Um, <laughs> I, you know, you shocked me because I was impressed and I loved them when I first, like I, that sun country, I was really excited to try from your story that you told me. And I tried, I was like, holy shit, he's right. Like, so you do, you like to surprise people. You like, you sneak up on people like, eh, these are pretty good. Like, you might want to try these. Yeah. And I guess I didn't, I didn't finish my thought about my dad being a horse trader because we were talking about the bull name. So when I was a kid, my dad had a business called Marriage in a Carriage too. So I would, I would work out the buggy horses. I went to Friday night lights at my high school on a horse and buggy. Like I was a farm boy. I was in the future farmers of America. I went to college for horticulture but I rode in the local rodeo. You know, I started at barrel racing and then I did cap roping and then team roping. And then I did Broncos and I was 17 years old and, you know, riding bucking horses and all of the, uh, back in the day, they called them buckle bunnies. I think they still do, even though it's a little disparaging, but you know, the girls that went after the guys at the rodeo buckles, they all wanted the bull riders. So I'm like, ah, I can ride a bull. So I, I rode eight bulls. I rode two of them to eight seconds. Um, and wow. it turns out it turns out that, you know, if you get bucked off a horse or you get off on your own accord, you just walk away and gradually go over to the gate and climb the fence and you're out. But if you get off a bull, even on your own accord, that bull turns around and tries to kill you. And and I made a conscious decision that those girls were not worth my life. <laughs> and I went back after riding eight bulls and two different rodeos to, to doing Broncos again because, yeah, just uh, I didn't want to die. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't blame you. It's not, not, not worth it. There, <laughs> like my dad told me that you know, doing stupid shit for a, for a girl was probably not the the best idea, and I think that would fall under that category. Riding bulls, absolutely. And, and you know, as a farm boy, you know, I had a whole different life. I, you know, it was it, it that taught me the work ethic too. You know, I worked on a dairy farm, milking cows twice a day, three a.m., three p.m. And then taking care of all of our animals and, you know, as a whole, it was a 16 hour day every day when you had school. So going to farms and stuff, that's nothing new to you. But what is new to you this year, you're going to the PCA and you'll be there in the uh, uh, boutique uh, cigar association pavilion. Mm -hmm. This is what are you looking forward to the most? Wow. Um, Just going, you know, actually doing a big conference like that and, you know, PCA is, is that event that you want to be at. So I've never walked the floor at PCA. I've walked the floor at TPE, but never had a booth there either. Uh, and the, what what has been done with the BCA just in the last 12 months has been remarkable. Uh, when they changed their model of operation, uh, you know, the communication is great. Monthly Zoom calls. Uh, and then having this section, this pavilion where... If a retailer comes into that pavilion, they're looking for boutique cigars. So if they're coming in there looking for cafe cigars, or they're coming in there looking for loyalty by family cigars, or they're they're going to come talk to me. Or if they're coming to talk to me, they're going to they're going to talk to those people. So I think that what I'm looking forward to the most is meeting those people face to face that I've talked to, um, and and meeting you know new shop owners and and also seeing some shop owners that haven't picked me up because now all right, he's at PCA. 
And that speaks volumes to people. You know, you're at the Premium Cigar Association. You're you're somebody now. You know, so now I'll get more brand recognition. Um, I'll I'll meet some of those stores that didn't pick me up that then will pick me up. Um, and I'm looking forward to that because it's a small industry. On the shop side, I don't know how many shops there are. What are there like two thousand shops in the United 2000, States? Two thousand, yeah, about eighteen hundred. Yeah. So so there's a lot of those people, but being able to meet and greet with all of the other brand owners that I've seen walking the floor at TPE or met just by coincidence walking into a shop and either the rep or they're there or there's an event. I mean, I've been to multiple Eric Espinosa events because I love that guy. He's amazing. Um, and just seeing those people again. So I'm looking forward to the the relationships and just continuing that and so many great people in this industry that I want to see. And the BCA really does help out, uh, you know, now this year they're helping out smaller uh, cigar manufacturers like yourself because getting show floor space is not the um, most affordable thing to do in most cases. And so they have, it's almost like a co-op where, Hey, we've got this space you pay in X amount. It's not going to be anywhere near what you would pay for even just like a table, you know, a, a four by uh, four by six, four by eight, whatever, however they sell it uh, um, area. And so it allows you this opportunity to, like you said, get into more shops, meet more people, network, see some folks that you, uh, you know, like build the relationships that you have and then start new ones with, with new folks. James, I think the, the key that I, with this BCA that I'm going to be interested in seeing the difference is you can get a booth anywhere else on the floor, but where you get it <laughs> makes all the difference in the world. So if you're out in no man's land or in just some obscure spot, the chance that somebody's going to walk by you by by chance, is he going to stop or is he going to rush around you? Now, if you're in a group, in a pavilion, so to speak, with all these other brands, people like uh, Greg was saying, they're going to go there and he's got a better shot at somebody trying his stuff as well. So that is the draw to having that type of setup when you're at a destination spot as opposed to just an island somewhere else in the floor. Absolutely. And and I've heard, you know, stories about it's not necessarily just the cost of the booth. It's the fact that if you want to put furniture in there, you want to get carpet in there, you want to get a plant in there, you want to have electricity. I've heard horror stories of, you know, young brands like my own that went there for the first time and had no idea what it was going to cost to get people to get things into their booth. Uh, so so BCA negotiating something, it's a flat rate, all the furniture is included, you know, your chairs, your display, like it's all included. They put the logo on your furniture for you um, and it includes your PCA membership dues. So it's this it's a great price. Honestly, I wish it was out there more and there were more boutique brands with me in that section. Right now, there's 15. Um, some aren't boutique brands. Some of them are boutique distributors, but it's a. Uh, I would love for other boutique brands to take advantage of it. You know, this is a this is a team effort. The more people that smoke cigars, the more cigars we're all going to sell. So, and that act that quote actually comes from a retailer, uh, my first retailer. You know, he said, you know, get in as many shops as you can because it's going to help me. The more you can sell, the more the more we'll sell for you. So, I think that's critical. I would love to see some of these small brand guys that I've met in Zoom calls and Zoom hearse or or at different places. I'd love for them to be a part of this pavilion. It's too late for this year, uh, but I think they'll they'll hear all the buzz around it. And I think next year I could easily see it being at 30 boutique brands. Yeah, well, well that's I, the key. If it if it works the way it should work, 
people will be noticing that and you'll see a lot of people jumping on board as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's very, very, uh, hopefully it'll work out for everybody, you know, like, and like Greg said, it's a destination spot where people will go to. And if they see a lot of traffic walking through that booth, the guys that have the other booths around the side, they're going to say, <laughs> you know what, I should join this BCA. So I think it's going to be a win-win and, uh, I wish you the best and I wish BCA the best. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to hear somebody say nice things about the BCA. Um, everything I've heard before, um, this year has been that the BCA has had some challenges. Uh, but it sounds like they have, uh, righted the ship, so to speak, and they're on a, a course for success. So I certainly hope that's the case. Yeah, they, they, it really, it's changed. The organization has changed. There's a lot more structure and there's a lot more people volunteering their time to really do what needs to be done. There's a marketing person that's part of it. Uh, there's a shop owner that's on the board uh, that actually picked up my brand in West Virginia. Um, and then, of course, Armin's in there and Gabby's in there. So you've got a lot of brains in the room. I've learned so much on the, the monthly Zoom calls, which didn't used to exist. Uh, and now they're doing each each monthly Zoom call. They're bringing in an expert of one part of the business to allow us to pick their brain and ask them questions. And and it's been I, I still contend that I know about 40 percent of what I need to know to be a brand owner because I learn something new every single day. Uh, and those calls are lifting me up each time I get on. And I'm on them every month. I don't miss them. If I'm on the road, I'm sitting in my truck on the call. I just I don't want to miss them because they're, they're impactful. You know, it's it's good to hear a, a, a brand owner talk positively about the industry and not just the BCA. I think, like I said, the BCA is kind of right at the ship. And we saw that when they kind of teamed with the PCA this year. And uh, so I'm happy about that. But I'm also I, I'm you're a very positive guy. You have a positive outlook on things. And so for to hear to hear you say that everybody in the industry has so far been cordial and, and welcoming uh, you you know because some of the some of the brand owners <clears throat> have famously said on the show one of them in particular has said that uh, the the industry <clears throat> is like a poker game in the old west where above the table everyone's you know they're playing poker they're drinking they're having a good time they're laughing they're smoking cigars ha 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 but under the table everyone's got their guns drawn on everyone else <laughs> and yeah. I I kind of feel like that kind of seems to be true just based on you know. Fuente coming after you for a trademark infringement that makes zero sense in my mind. Like, is that, do you feel like that's more the case or like, have you genuinely had like nothing but positive interactions with folks? Listen, I, I don't have nothing, but it's, it's, it's not about every interaction is positive. Um, but I can always pick out a positive. I mean, you look at, uh, we'll talk about Carlito. The things he's done for the industry, the things he's done for charities in the Dominican Republic, the things he's done for brand recognition, uh, the way that it was his father who got uh, who was kind of the founder in a way of uh, cigar aficionado. And and that really created the cigar boom. Um, There's so many positive things that he's done. So I think if we could all just focus on the positive things, you know, Rocky Patel uh, donating over a million dollars personally towards our causes and really. Honestly, it doesn't benefit the big brands to fight all these FDA rules because they're locked in. Yeah. So when you so when you've got people, the big guys like Carlito, like Rocky Patel, like uh, Roma Craft, who I, I don't consider boutique. I, I think they're a big guy. You know, uh, <clears throat> Padron, you've got 
all of these big players who are fighting against the FDA for rules that would really kind of protect them in a way, but they're, they're, they're all about the industry. You know, they're all about protecting it and it's helping me. So I, so everyone presents a positive story, even if you have a negative interaction and there's something that can be said that's positive. And honestly, our only competitor is the FDA. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's, we should all be fighting against them. We should be raising swords to them, not to each other. Uh, I would agree. I would agree 100%. Are you worried about the uh, proposed FDA uh, regulations outside the country, which make zero sense to me again? Like, I, just, I don't understand where they're coming from. But are, uh, is, uh, are you or you, are the factory that you work with, are they concerned with what the FDA is possibly proposing? So I, I brought that up to my factory when they were first talking about it before it ever got to actually some rule writing. Um, and they're not worried about it. You know, it, they're, they're actually building a new factory now, which will it be an easier factory to accommodate an FDA inspection. You know, the old factory has been around since the 70s. It's old school, you know, but we're not putting out any product that wouldn't be safe for any consumer. I think the FDA getting their hands in the business outside of the country is a problem, but it's not just the FDA. I mean, you know, Nick is is dealing with European regulations now. I'm sure that's a big hassle with uh, tracking the rest of the the rest of the world has got in some ways (laughs) way way more strict regulations than the fda we're just surprised because you know we're supposed to be in the land of the free and it's it's ridiculous you know that they're coming after and the whole reason they came after us in my opinion is only because initially with the vape and all the other they lumped us all in you know they just didn't know what to do with us they wanted to tax us, you know, they get five cents a stick from us. And I think they're happy with that. But of course, it's the other organizations or the proponents that are for, you know, health, you know, whatever you want to call them, that they're trying to appease as well. At the end of the day, I think we will be pleasantly surprised. I mean, look, I've seen it from the beginning of what they said initially to scaring the pants off of everybody to kind of going away. And and now these other agencies and and organizations are the ones that are pushing the FDA. The FDA almost kind of took a backseat for a long time. Like, look, we were getting our money and we don't really want to push this issue because they didn't know what the heck they were doing either. They have no idea about cigars. They don't have any idea about this being an organic product. And how can you regulate something that not only changes, you know, from, from crop to crop it's just constantly organic you cannot we're not adding any additives and chemicals so there's nothing there to regulate so it's going to be uh they're trying to figure a way to regulate something and going to the factories i think is ridiculous but it's going to be whatever it finally shakes down i think it's going to be very mild at least that's what my uh hope is and my uh prediction for sure yeah and i don't profess to be an expert i I do live in the washington dc area uh, so I do. And I worked in government contracting for 25 years. So there's a couple points. One is each agency, it's all about the money. You know, it's uh, the more staff that they can have, the bigger their budget gets. So if they can send inspectors all over the world, the more money they get. If they can uh, create a process where they've got to test every cigar for a year before you can release it, that's more money for them. That's a team of people. Uh, and in the end, you know, I've been watching uh, the additions to bills going through Congress where they'll they're trying to get tax dollars to separate premium cigars. They're defining premium cigars and, and people on both sides of the aisle have presented uh, kind of lines within bills that had had nothing to do with cigars, but more to do with taxes. 
I think what's going to happen is they're going to they're going to create a federal tax that's greater than just the FDA tax, and then they're going to lose the all of the pre-market regulation stuff, the the blend registration, all those things. I think they're going to get rid of it because it it is cumbersome. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, there's so many lawsuits against them right now that if they what they really want is the money. So let's you know if we have to give them a little bit of money, we have to give them a little bit of money. I think in the end we're going to have to. That's the only way this is going to resolve itself. Yeah. <clears throat> the government always gets its pound of flesh one way or the other. So yeah. it's better to give give them a pound of flesh from somewhere that it doesn't matter. When you want to access, like, well, let's just do that and drop the rest of it. Yeah. Oh, and Greg. Go ahead. No, Greg, I, go ahead. I was, I, gonna, to talk. I was just going to say, meanwhile, the uh, marijuana is being legalized everywhere and you can smoke it everywhere. Uh. And, and, at the, <laughs> and, at, and at the same time, cigars are being you know hit over the head with a hammer at every turn. Yeah. So, so there's going to be a lot of changes uh, when when the federal marijuana legalization comes about, which is which is going to happen. There's that's not going to stop. They're going to have to figure out a way. If we're giving them so much leniency, how do we, you know, trash the cigar industry while at the same time lifting up another combustible natural product, which is being inhaled, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's well, look, you know, you can go anywhere. You go into New York City, and even though there's only I forgot how many official uh, dispensaries there are anywhere you go. Now you just, all you smell is, is marijuana smoke, no matter where you go. And I'm like, look, I I don't want to bother those folks, but I don't want to be bothered when I'm smoking something that's much healthier in so many ways. If healthy can be a word used with cigars, (laughs) you know, it's, it's totally ridiculous. And, and hopefully look, they're giving them all the leeway and all the, and then they're going to have to call a, crawl that back too. you know, at some point they're going to go, uh Oh, and the implications of what is going to happen with the, you know, cannabis industry on the health, uh, the motor vehicle laws. I mean, people are smoking it, you know, this recreational, you had the medical stuff, you know, I I don't want to pretend that I know anything about that part of the business. All I know is I roll my eyes every time I hear people talk about that. I was just in a shop and the manager of the shop, you know, he's like, oh, I want you to teach me about your brand. I want to be able to sell it. And I'm like, all right, well, the best way to sell it is, you know, smoke the cigar. And the guy says, well, I don't smoke cigars. I go, okay, what do you smoke? <laughs> and he's like, well, I sit here and I smoke marijuana all day. And I'm like, you smoke marijuana in this cigar shop? It's a private slash public. There's a public section. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to touch that. That's a whole nother thing. But the point of it is. Marijuana is just getting more and more prevalent and cigar smoke is being demonized, you know, as always has been. And it's just getting worse and worse. I want to shift gears, Greg, because what I do with any new brand that I'm trying, um, the first thing I want to try from a new brand is their mildest cigar, because the hardest thing to do is a good mild cigar. And it's also it can be a very big part of your business. In America, meaning the United States, uh, everybody's about stronger cigars. And I and I get that. But believe it or not, you know, you said 40% of the market. I, I think it's even more than that because there's a lot of cigar smokers that we don't know, that we don't interact with, that are not, you know, following social media. They're not going on Facebook. They're not actually searching. It, it's not really a hobby per se. It's something that they tend to do. They like it on a golf course or what have you. And those people, they most of them don't even care what they're smoking as long as it's basically smoke. And that used to drive me crazy. My first Connecticut was 
so super strong and it came out many, many years. It was before its time. And so I had to come out with another blend that was milder that they liked. But then, you know what? Years later, people wanted the stronger one. It's like, oh, yeah, I still have this one. It's being sold. So it's funny how that is. And I, I will say that I'm smoking your uh, your avalanche and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It's exactly what you said it is. You know, I, I can't. There's too many Connecticut's out there that are literally just like smoke. There's if you get if you're lucky, if you have any smoke, but there's no flavor to it. And to me, it's like, look, what is the point of smoking a cigar if you're not getting anything out of it? You know, the motion of smoking, I, that's not what I'm doing. And I think most real cigar smokers really want to smoke for flavor and aroma. Um, and this one definitely hits it. It's very good. Kudos to you, Greg. I like it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. that that's why it took 24 months to come out with one. I just... I want hey, to you don't you don't have to rush it. You don't have to rush it. My first my first blend took 18 revisions and it was only because I wasn't sure. And I had some really, really good mentors and people that said it's ready. It's ready. And I just kept, no, no, let me tweak it. Let me do this. Let me do that. Now, now I don't do it as much like that. And I let the people kind of speak and I let a lot of shops have their input on my blends for the U.S. market. That is because, uh, to be honest, I'm still really learning the U.S. market and um yeah, there's a lot of cigars that I necessarily don't find in my palate, but people want it and they sell. And as as much as I can, I have to be able to smoke and it has to be good quality. Of course, it is important to give the people what they want, as they say. If they want something that's X Y Z, then give them what they want and help your brand in the process. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you, thank thank you for the. Uh, I guess the the counterpoint or the same point, you know, making that again because I, I think it's critical. I, I'm I'm a smoker that does enjoy the flavors. I'm a smoker that, you know, is looking for those different nuances, the subtle things that you feel. I did learn uh, that on the Bushwhacker when it came out in the two different wrappers, I did a live Zoom for four hours where I, where people <laughs> at, at the one shop could buy the two different wrappers, and I let them write the tasting notes. And people picked up things and those cigars that I never picked up. And when multiple people said it, now you've got it in your head. And now you're like, okay, yeah, I do get a little citrus out of that. I, I didn't pick it up before in the Habano and the, the Bushwhacker. So uh -huh. it's critical. We've all we've all got a different tasting experience. And we go back to what we know. I happen to eat a lot of roasted hazelnuts. So when people say nuttiness, what I what I experience is roasted hazelnut. And people are like, well, never had one of those. But <laughs> it's it's all what you, what you've had. You know, it's yeah. your your tasting experience, the spices you've tasted, that kind of thing. It's definitely experiential and subjective. And so everyone's going to pick up a little. And that's why, like, I do reviews and I hate doing reviews because I, someone's going to, they're always going to tear it apart. They're never going to taste exactly what you taste. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I found when I first started smoking cigars, when I wanted to try to pick out what, instead of I'm just tasting smoke, what am I really tasting? reading reviews and reading multiple reviews and seeing what they taste. And then, Oh yeah, now I get it. Now I get it. So it's all, I think it is experiential and the more you smoke and the more uh, you try from different brands and different, uh, you know, wrappers and fillers and, and binders uh, the, the better sense you get uh, of what you're smoking. I want to ask you this, where do you see Fuerte y Libre or uh, whatever in FYL or Libre or Whatever you're gonna call, where do you see you in 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 five years? Where's the company at? So I really do want to get in the European market. 
this this new ruling is is complicated, but I'm sure that I can call Nick and he can help me help guide me into that market. But but the first place I want to be is just in more shops in the U.S. You know, I think I think 250 is a good number to be at before I start exploring outside the country. Um, I would love, really, in all honesty, I created the brand to be a legacy. Uh, and, you know, I call the bigger brands legacy brands, but I wanted, my son smokes cigars and he's, he works in a cigar shop. I want, I wanted something to hand down, you know, I wanted something that lived beyond me. Uh, so I want to build a company, uh, where eventually we make money and I can hire my son because he makes way too much money for me to hire him. Um, but create a legacy for him, you know, and, and have a, have a true family business Do exactly what, um, you know, Carlito's grandfather did start something small and create a legacy where it's something special. I don't, you know, I don't ever see myself being a, a $400 million company, but neither did Carlito's grandfather, you know, but that's what it is. You know, they created a legacy and it's a, it's a powerful company that, that does some really good things for the industry and the world at large. You know, you brought up your son and you talked a little bit about him <clears throat> as I hit the microphone like a professional. Um, <clears throat> you talked a little bit about him with me at, at the uh, uh, Mile Kentucky Herf. But he it's funny that you say that, you know, he like you wanted this to be a legacy and you kind of want him to take over the business. But he's doing pretty well for himself. And the way he got into it is kind of a weird way to get into it. You want to you want to talk about that for just a minute? Yeah, so he works. Uh, he moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He followed love. He was supposed to go to school there, didn't, but went to visit a friend there. Met this girl. moved to, Moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's a, it's a hostile climate up there. It's cold. It's windy. It's miserable. They got three weeks of summer. You know, that's when you want to visit, and that's about it. But he, uh, he realized he needed a real job beyond just waiting tables when he was out there. So he he walked in a glass shop. Uh, in Sioux Falls, but it's a glass shop with the biggest humidor in Sioux Falls. Uh, and they didn't have a help wanted sign. He went up to the counter. He's like, hey, do you have a, a, a job? I'm looking for a job. He's like, there's no help wanted sign. Why would you come in here? And he's like, well, you know, I like cigars. You have the biggest humidor in the city. I'd, I'd love to work here. And he goes, well, the owner's in the back. Maybe he'll talk to you. So he goes, the owner wants to talk to him. He sits down and and the owner's like, you know, why'd you come in here? There's no help on it. He's like, well, you know, I really love cigars. And he goes, and the owner says, well, honestly, we don't have anyone here that knows anything about cigars. I mean, they know everything about CBD and pot and, you know, Delta 8 and all that. But nobody knows anything about cigars. What do you know about cigars? And and my son says, well, I just got back from my dad's factory in the Dominican Republic. And the guy said, um, you're hired. Yeah. What kind of fact? <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of what kind of factory? He goes, oh, it's a cigar factory. And he goes, your dad has a cigar factory in the Dominican Republic. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, can you start Monday? <laughs> so he started part-time, you know, making, I don't know what he was making an hour. And within 18 months, he was a district manager over multiple stores. And now he's going to be, they're opening up their first shop in Omaha and he's moving to Omaha in a month. Yeah. So to open up a new shop for them. So it's, uh, you know, he's, he's still in cigars. Uh, he apparently does a great job. He's only 24 years old and He's making more money than any 24-year-old should make, uh, but he works hard. Uh, the owner really loves him and respects him to go to Omaha, you know, without the owner and be down there and help open up a shop. So I'm really proud that's of the awesome. guy. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> when he opens up, because I hate, I don't, like you said, Sioux Falls is not uh, the most hospitable place to go uh, climate-wise, and I'm not that far from it. Like, climbing here sucks too. But when he's in Omaha, when they open up that shop, let me know, and I'll definitely go check it out and say hi to him, meet him. 
Uh, cause I think that's great. Cause I, I, I'd like that you, you want this to be a family business. Uh, and I, I, I really enjoy that. And, and, you know, you talk about legacy. I think you're going to leave a great legacy just based on your attitude. Um, and, and aside from that, your cigars are, are fantastic. I really like them. Like I said, I'm not blowing smoke guys. Go to your local B&M, ask for Fuerte y Libre. I'm smoking now the, uh, the midnight bender, which is such a great name. And, and you said that it was, it was from a, uh, you named these from a bull. Um, from famous rodeo bulls, but that's such a great name, Midnight Bender. Yeah, when that name came up, um, so whoever the newest guy on the trip uh, is, they get to actually call out the names out of the top 500 rodeo bulls that they think matches the blend that we're smoking that night. So we're smoking the new blend, and they get to call out the top names. And when he came to Midnight Bender, he said, uh, that's the son of Bodacious, which was our first line. And and Midnight Bender worked because it was our first dark wrapper. It was a San Andreas wrapper. So, you know, it, we still we still had to pick a top five. Each person on the trip gets to pick their top five out of the consolidated list of 50 to 70. And then the next night we present the top five. But everybody had Midnight Bender on their list. So it was a clear winner. That's awesome. What's next for you? Are you and uh, your, your chief tasting officer, Ed, going anywhere, uh, you know, after the trade show? Are you still grinding? Uh, what, what, uh, what's the plan? Where can people find you? So we do a lot of a lot of last minute trips, you know, and it's based on trying to get a shop that we're already in to do a cut and light. Uh, we did a trip last weekend to Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh, we weren't in Pittsburgh at all just two months ago, and and in our in our visit two months ago, we got in three shops in one day, which was just remarkable. Um, so we went back up to do a cut and light at Old Allegheny Smoke Shop, which is kind of south of Pittsburgh, still in Pittsburgh proper, but on the south side of the river. Uh, got in that shop. So we did a cut and light there Friday. And then we did this thing called the crawl, which I'd never heard of, but it's been around for over 25 years. 50 people get on a bus and they go from shop to shop. So they support the local shops. All the shops offer deals. They usually lay out food and cookies and all kinds of crap. Um, and I went up there just to not even to sell cigars, just to do my cut and light visit the shops. I didn't take any samplers or anything. And while I was up there, I got in another three shops completely by awesome. completely by accident. Wow. So, so, I mean, everyone knows Leaf and Bean in downtown oh, yeah. uh, Pittsburgh. Jim travels more than I do. So anytime I've been in that shop, he's never been there, but he was there and I gave him one of my cigars. I didn't have a sampler. I'm like, Hey, I just wanted you to smoke my cigar. He's like, Oh, you have a brand. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, we should pick you up. And I'm like, well, I'm not really here to sell cigars. He's like, why aren't you here to sell cigars? I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm here as part of the crawl. It's just like, a, I, you know, I, everyone on the bus got one of my cigars. I stood up on the bus and talked about my brand. There were a couple of other new brands there, which were great too. And, uh, you know, he, he said, you know, have Sean write up an owner. I said, I tell you what, you're going to be a PCA. Have Sean come to my booth. There'll be some show specials. Let's just do your order there. And then I picked the the shop that we started and ended at the smokestack in Coriopolis, which is just outside of Pittsburgh. I didn't even know that the guy was the owner and he came over to the table. We had just eaten dinner and he had the restaurant that had catered the dinner, which was delicious. Uh, and the chef was sitting at our table. So this guy comes over and he introduces himself and, and I said, Oh, you're the guy that owns the restaurant. He goes, yeah, I own the cigar shop too. And I'm like, what? So he's like, yeah, my name is Josh. So, he said, well, I, I said, well, here, try try a couple cigars. He smoked the Sun Country, and so did the chef. Josh placed an order that night at 1.30 in the morning, Wow! Uh, which I shipped out to him on Monday. And then the chef is opening a shop in Louisiana. He smoked the Sun Country, and he's like, 
I'm bringing you in, send me the wholesale price list. We're going to open in two months. So, so it's, we're, we're getting some traction and it's just fun to be out there. And I, I am not, I am not a salesman. I, I'm the first one to tell you, I'm not a hard closer. I don't push anybody. You know, I, I'll give them a sampler and I'm like, I'm not here to sell cigars today. I'll call you in two weeks and see what you thought. But I've picked up uh, orders on that first visit. They're like, what do you mean you're not here to sell cigars? Don't you want to sell cigars? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but I'd like you to try them first. And you know, another shop, Smokers Abbey in Nashville, he placed an order the very first visit because I had been there the night before and his bartender loved my cigars. That's all he needed to hear because that guy loves cigars. And, and he placed an order. So you just never know how it's going to go. But I'm more of a relationship style salesperson. I did recruiting for a long time in the federal government. And uh, you know, putting the right person in the right seat at the right time is is kind of my ethos, and it's the same thing with cigars. I don't want to be in a shop that doesn't love the cigar because it's critical that whoever's running that register and that humidor loves your cigar. If they do, you're going to sell. You'll get your second order, your third order. You'll be great. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I saw your Instagram post while you were in Pittsburgh. I saw that you did the uh, the bus crawl, uh, and then I saw that you were at the Leaf and Bean, and uh, <laughs> you were doing a you were doing like a walkthrough of the leaf and bean. I saw Jim standing there cause he was our first guest when we switched over to uh, the video format uh, and added that, not just audio. And I was like, yeah, there's Jim. yeah. I was like, Oh, there's Jim. <laughs> and, and what I, a- let me give you a little, let me give you a little uh, information on Jim. Jim is the kind of person that just the fact that you have your own brand, he was going to buy it. It didn't matter what it was. That's Jim. Jim will buy it anybody he is so pro cigar and he really does he's one of the the good guys out there that actually does help people and wants everyone to have an honest shot at this industry and this business and that's just the kind of guy jim is jim was very instrumental and very helpful to me early on and uh i you know i consider him a very good friend and he's a good guy in the business so yeah we I'm asked glad him you about, got to meet him we asked him about that when he was on and i said you just like you bring in boutiques. He's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I bring in boutiques? Like I want the industry to grow. He's really one of the, one of the, the first guys in the industry that to me, you know, I've talked to shop owners all the time and even some shop owners don't get this. And you talked about it earlier, Greg, is that a rising tide raises all ships and, and Jim really gets that. So for him to say, yeah, I'm going to bring you in. That doesn't shock me at all. Like he doesn't even want to try it. He's just like, well, yeah, I want to support you. Cause you, you are support the industry. So yeah, he, yeah, he was a great guy. It was, it was so great to meet him. And there's, you know, I look at these people as kind of my heroes, you know, these are people who have far more experience than I do have done so much more for the industry than I've done. Um, and you know, you meet them and you're a little bit uh, starstruck, you know, meeting Jim for the first time, a little bit starstruck. I'm, I'm going to be honest. And I'm not a, uh, I'll see stars when I travel, but I never approach them because I'm like, they're here having dinner. Like, I'm not going to go get my picture. Let them let them do their own thing. But when it's a cigar person who just is so cordial and friendly and, you know, I'm going to talk to them because, hey, they're, they're a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, and that's awesome. I think you've got a great attitude, Greg, about uh, the industry as a whole uh, and, and where you're going. I think sky's the limit. I think it's a great cigar. It should be uh, in uh, 1800 shops. Yours and Nick should both be in every shop in America. Uh, Cause I just, I do. I really, I really enjoy your cigars. I think they're great. And, and you're just an awesome person to be around. Uh, and I, I, I said at the beginning of the show that I wouldn't, I wasn't going to put the genuine on, but I am definitely after this conversation, Greg, 
I, I want people to see all sides of you. I, I'm putting that on at the end. That's how we're, that's how this, if I could get that video to play, uh, you singing pony is how we're going to end this episode. Uh, so I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, next month. Uh, it'll be actually a week when this comes out. Uh, I'll see you in a week <laughs> at the, at the trade show. And then next week, guys, we're going to be talking about this episode. We're going to be breaking it down Tim's style, which is not my style at all. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about the PCA. We'll talk about the BCA. We'll talk about the uh, <laughs> trademark bullshit because that's that irks me. That's still that really pisses me off. And you're such a class act that you're taking the high road. And I appreciate that because knowing me the way I know me, I would not take the high road at all. Well, th- thank you. I appreciate that. I, You know, I, if you, have you had the uh, Aladino on yet? I have not had Aladino on yet. They're on the list. Oh my God. So I was watching another, I, I don't know what show it was. I'm not, even if I did, I probably wouldn't say it, but Trey, okay. Trey is their rep and I've met him at multiple different shops and he actually, he'll take my sun countries to other shops and say, you've got to try this brand. So, I mean, that's how this industry works, but if you could get Trey and then also, uh, I can't remember her name, but she's, she's the one that's kind of the face of the company from a marketing perspective, them on a show together with, would be killer. You guys have got to have them on. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Hopefully we'll run into them uh, at the trade show. Uh, but Greg, I appreciate you coming on, taking the time to talk with us. Tell everybody about Fuerte Libre or FYL or Libre or uh, Firma Libre. Firma, Firma Libre. Firma Libre. <laughs> Whatever, whichever way you go is going to be great because your cigars stand on their own, uh, regardless of the name. Guys, go to your local shop. Ask for Fuerte Libre. I'm smoking the Midnight Bender uh, now, and it's absolutely fantastic. More full body, definitely full body. Uh, than the Avalanche and the Avalanche was great. That both the Avalanche and the Sun Country, Jesus Christ! Like I could smoke them back to back with a cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the day. I'm I'm good. I'm straight. Like after that, it's it's gravy. Everything's downhill. Greg Free Fuerte Libre, my friend. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank Thanks, you Greg. very much. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great night. Enjoy talking about me. You as well, well, sir. (laughs) Guys, we will see you in a week for the after show. Look forward to that. Uh, Nick, thanks for uh, uh, coming on once again. I know we just talked last night. Uh, Time travels hard, but we did talk last night and we did the uh, after show for uh, the Coop show. That was a lot of fun. Uh, If you haven't uh, seen that, check that out. But Nick, I will see you uh, in a week again. Absolutely. (laughs) Until next time, guys. (laughs) Stay smoky, friends. 